to everyone who has one, is one, misses one, or has someone who played the role of one in their lives. Happy Mother's Day, y'all. Hello, I'm John Rossi. I'm a touring drummer with a passion for animal conservation. When I'm on the road, I spend as much time as possible visiting zoos, aquariums, and conservation organizations. Now, I want to share those places with you. I'll be talking to keepers, vets, conservationists, anyone who can help me in my mission of connecting my people to animals through their people. Join me on my raw safari. Hello, 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 and welcome back to a very special Mother's Day episode of the Rasafari Podcast. Now, I want to start off by saying that I am very sensitive to the fact that Mother's Day, which is coming up later this week, is not something that everybody loves. There are strained relationships, there are lost parents, there's all that kind of stuff, and I totally respect that. And I, I love you if you are a person who is going through that. And uh, if you need to take this episode off, I completely understand. However, I could not help but decide that it was time to talk about what it's like being a mother and a zookeeper. How do those relationships work when you care about animals and your kids? How do the demands of the job change when you have to be a mother? All that good kind of stuff. Well, it turns out that our good friend, Danny Poirier-Larsen, has been on this journey over the last year plus as she went from non-pregnant zookeeper to pregnant zookeeper through a fairly lengthy maternity leave and now has been working as a zookeeper who's also got a kid at home. So I thought this would be a really, really fun and interesting look into what that is like. And um, of course, since it's Danny, who if you're newer to this podcast and you don't know this, Danny is a star on this show. There are many episodes with her on them. We've done uh, some Instagram live stuff together. Um, go go check all of that out. She is amazing and, and one of the most asked about and beloved guests on this podcast. And uh, we even talk about that a little at the, the beginning of, of the interview. So uh, if you haven't heard all that yet, maybe go check those out. It can be first. It can be after this. Uh, we explain everything, you know, kind of from the past. It's all good. But um, yeah, Danny is definitely worth spending some time with on this podcast for sure. So go check those out if you haven't yet. But yeah, I just thought it was so cool that someone who I'm so close to has been on this journey and uh, was willing to share it with all of you. It's really cool. So um, I cannot wait to bring that to you. It's going to be really fun. I will tell you uh, <laughs> a couple of quick things about this episode. First of all, you will hear some um, kind of ticky noises. We're going to call them that in the background from time to time. And that is because Danny's dog, Shine, kept coming in and wandering around. And Shine is perfect, and you will hear more about that. But if you hear some little clicky noises in the back of your headphones or speakers, nothing's wrong with your car or speakers or headphones, probably. I mean, I can't actually diagnose that, but you're just hearing Shine walk around and be adorable because that is what Shine does. Um, and I also need to tell you that, uh, you know, Danny and I are pretty relaxed with each other. We've become really good friends. And uh, this is a very chill interview. We joke around and we drop a couple of S-bombs for those who are offended by that kind of thing. And honestly, I hit record before I was going to start. So you're just going to hear some funny goofiness, just two friends being friends. 
friends. Um, I think it makes for some incredible content, and I think you're going to really enjoy it. Uh, so we will get to that in a minute. But first, some housekeeping. Uh, don't forget to follow at Ross Safari on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, and at Ross Safari Pod on TikTok. And remember that you can support the podcast by going to patreon.com slash rossafari or go to rossafari.com where you can also listen to episodes of the pod and get podcast merch. That's exciting. We love our swag, don't we, folks? Yes, we do. Uh, and that was kind of like an ad, but here's an actual ad. Today's episode is brought to you by Daydreamers Studios. Do you have stories and expertise to share with the world? Have you ever thought about starting your own podcasts? There's no better time to start than now with the help of a trusted production partner. Daydreamer Studios is a full-service production company that takes all the stress off your plate. You can focus on creating engaging content while they focus on recording, editing, audio engineering, hosting, and publishing on 22 platforms. Log into the advanced remote system with one click and the Daydreamer team will be on the other end ready for you to record everything you have to say. Owned and operated by Daydreamer Network, Daydreamer Studios continues on the company's mission to empower storytellers of all kinds by making podcasting accessible to all. For more information and current promotions, visit daydreamernetwork.com studios. All right, so get ready to hear about bird keeping as a pregnant person, taking time off, being a mother and a zookeeper, and um, a poop story or three of a different variety than what you may be used to, because after all, this week is Mother's Day, y'all. So uh, here is my interview with Danny Poirier Larson of Southwick's Zoo. <laughs> I hit record in time to capture that. You're welcome, folks. <laughs> no, you didn't. I, I did. Shit. <laughs> welcome to me. Yes, welcome to you. Hey, so here's a question, Mom. Uh, can you go turn off Bluey so we can do this interview properly? <laughs> sure. Thanks. Don't worry, friends. She'll be back soon, I'm sure. I, I hope. I, I assume. Oh, here she is. I was legit so hoping that you wouldn't turn it off just so I could... Make <laughs> that, that happen. Yeah, that made me happy. Thanks. Thanks we for going and that turning in, that right? off. Oh, yeah. This is all going in. <laughs> yeah. So, hi. Hi. Oh, okay. Yeah, get on the microphone. You know hi. how to do this. Hi. How are you? <laughs> Tired. Yeah. I think that's your job now, right? Yep. Yeah. Okay. So, we are here to do something a little different, as I'm sure I've already said in the intro, but uh, I haven't recorded that part yet. So, um, we're going to talk about what life is like as a pregnant and then mother zookeeper. Mm -hmm. um, but first, before we get into that, we don't really need to introduce you because everyone knows who you are, but that's actually what I wanted to ask you about. Is it weird slash interesting having kind of all the events of your life play out on a podcast a little bit? <laughs> like, like the first time we ever met, I was engaged yes, and about and like to be married. Yeah. And it was COVID and everything was crazy. And I thought that was like so wild. And now here we are. How many years later? Two years later. And yeah, who even am I now? Yeah, I, 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 it's all so crazy. I've grown so much. Yes, yes. Through your eyes, John. And it's like everybody, so here's the weirdest thing about this though, right? Not only like, like literally we announced the birth of your child on mm -hmm. Zoo News, but like <laughs> you're, you're part of this podcast. You are a, for lack of a better word, a character 
yeah. on a podcast to the point where when I meet fans, they frequently ask me about you. Oh you are the person they ask about most. It's you and then Colleen and then a couple others have popped up. Yeah. But like, I've had so many people be like, so are you and Danny really friends? Or like, so you guys like. No, I'm fake. I'm, yeah, no, I'm, I'm complete. This is just me doing Our relationship voices. is fake. Oh yeah. We hate each other. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's, it's rough. We, we had to get dinner tonight and it was. It was just awful. It was a big fight. Yeah. It was rough. <laughs> it was rough. But um. Yeah. And then, uh, yeah, we were, we were hanging out and, and for those who have listened and are all caught up, uh, our friend Emily Begay was with us as well for, of for dinner and, uh, it was super fun. And then, um, she got accosted by a crackhead. So, um, like <laughs> literally a, never a dull moment, like, like a self-admitted, like he said, Hey guys, I'm, I'm addicted to crack. And, and she was very surprised by that. So we're just having a very <laughs> she exciting was so evening. Surprised. She literally, the guy was clearly, meanwhile, issues. I was not involved in this situation because where was I? I was in my car on the way home pumping because I yep. was like guys I've got to go it is 7 30 I haven't pumped in four hours and this is a problem bye yep it's true she just kind of walked out and was like gotta take care of my boobs and honestly <laughs> if she hadn't then this interview would be interrupted by pumping For so sure. yeah yeah so yeah so I guess that's a great segue um into so you're a mom now I am congrats yeah just put just tried to help put my baby to bed my husband's now upstairs trying to get her to bed currently. It's 8.30 p.m. and past her bedtime. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's uh, that's, that's got to be a bit of a change for you. It is a big change. Yeah. I feel like a – I really do feel like a different person. My life is no longer just about me. Mm-hmm. And not that it really ever was just about me, but – Things things have changed. Things change so quickly. I feel like it's so cliche. People tell you that when you have kids, everything changes, but it really does. Oh, yeah. And I mean, I even noticed just like we'll be texting and then like you'll just stop. And then like three days later, you're like, I missed this. And it's fine. And I have no idea that it even ever happened. Yeah, no. Yeah. It's wild. Yeah, it's tricky. And also like just looking around your place, there's like baby stuff everywhere. Everywhere. Isn't it crazy to think that like. Until fairly recently, like, you know, there weren't 30,000 specialty baby things. There was just like, but now it's, it's everything. And the tech is incredible. And, yeah. I hear yeah. that from my mom and my in-laws all the time. I'm sure. Yeah. All the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You have like a baby thing behind you that I don't even recognize. It's a bottle sterilizer. Oh, yeah. well, this was very different. Okay. That's fair. That's and it fair. sterilizes my pump parts because as you know. I pump at work. You do pump at work. And so I want to come home and I want to sterilize that stuff, you know? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Ooh, yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. And not that I'm pumping like while I'm cleaning cages and stuff because that would just be disgusting. Good clarification. Good but, clarification. But I have pumped while I do dishes at, at work. Okay. So... I still do want to get home and sterilize that, you know? Yeah, yeah, that's that's fair. I mean, and you gotta you gotta do what you gotta do. Yep. So um let's you know, I, I wanna I wanna walk through this, I think, in the right order. Okay. So let's go back to when you were pregnant, Danny. Mm-hmm. And zookeeping is a wildly physical job. So I'm mm-hmm. I'm curious to hear a little bit about uh what that journey was like. Starting with like, so I mean I'm still confused by this, but how how did you get pregnant? How does that work? LOL. I've never really talked to my parents about this stuff, and I don't know. <laughs> I think that's a conversation you need to have with them. Okay, fine. All right. No, no, I, <laughs> I'm being an idiot, of course. But seriously, so yeah. you find out that you are pregnant. Mm-hmm. And like right away, what does that knowledge mean to you as somebody who is not only a keeper, mm-hmm. 
but a leader, mm-hmm. but also someone who's wildly involved with training of mm-hmm. birds who are very specific in who they like and how mm-hmm. they interact with people and all of yeah. that. Well, I guess starting from the beginning, the day I found out, I think it was that day, later that day, I went to the zoo to drop something off and Emily's there and she was the first person I told and she, I mean, other than like my sister and stuff, but, um, and my mom, but she literally dropped everything and started running around the barn and all of the birds started screaming at the top (laughs) of their lungs. She was so happy for me. Which is just, if you know Emily, so classic Emily. Oh, that's yeah. that's her reaction to really exciting news for other people. She's just the most amazing person. So that was a really nice memory to have. Um, but yeah, it was this thing where like really early on, you know, when you find out that you're pregnant, you're really not supposed to tell many people. But I had had conversations with people who knew we were trying. And there were some people that I did tell very early on just because, you know, like if anything ever happens, you do also want to have a close little community of people that mm-hmm. you can like confide in and stuff. And that was important to me. So I, I remember had, that I was one of those you people. You were one of it those people, so John. Much to me. And, no, it was so cool. Me, you and Emily were like FaceTiming that night, right? And <laughs> yeah. I was like, John, I have to tell you something. Yeah. So it was good. only a couple weeks at that, that yeah. point. So there were a few people that knew about it pretty early on. It was very difficult secret for me to keep at work because I was very sick, which um, I guess is... As you can imagine, something that's really hard to be dealing with when you have such a physical job. I All I wanted to do was sit down and be nauseous or sit down and vomit, and I couldn't do that at work. So that was hard. It was really hard to motivate myself to get up in the morning and like not be late, which ties back to your question about being a leader. Like It's just you still want to be an example, and you still want to be that person that's like always going to be on the front lines, and all of a sudden... I couldn't be that person. So a lot of people on my team did know pretty early. Like Emily was the first to know, but then I was pretty honest with everybody up front. Like, hey, I'm pregnant and I'm not really supposed to tell anybody yet, but like, obviously I'm really, really struggling with morning sickness. They say morning sickness, but it's really like all the freaking time sickness (laughs) for certain people. And I was one of them. So yeah, it was very difficult. And, um, And then as things progressed, you know, second trimester wasn't too bad, but that was the middle of the summer, heat of the summer. So I'm really glad I was in my second trimester then. Third trimester was in the fall when things were winding down, but it's also around the time that we like lose our interns and a lot of our summer help. So all of a sudden the, you know, main staff is responsible for so much more cleaning than we are in the middle of the summer. So it started to get really hard and I had to write I wanted to be really transparent with my team about like what I was physically not able to do anymore. And that was really hard for me. But with the encouragement of Emily and some of my other coworkers, um, we were like, you know what, I'm just going to make a list and I'm going to put this list on the whiteboard so that you can all see it. Like, this is what's difficult. I had three different things. This is what I can still do. This is what is now difficult for me. So I will do it if I have to, but if someone else can do these things, that would be appreciated. And here's what I absolutely can't do. And that was like walking Russell's crate over to the show arena and all these things. And so, yeah, I had to start teaching people to do a lot of things in my absence. And a lot of that, as you know, working with Russell is a big one. Yeah. Um, so it, it was hard for me, but it's also a really nice opportunity to see how my team can pull through and thrive without me. And they did an insanely good job without me there. Like 
I mean, it made me feel so confident um, just knowing that things are really smooth in my absence. And I was just so, I was just really, I mean, I don't even want to say I was proud of them. I was just like happy for them that they had that opportunity to really just like take the reins. And it was a really good experience for them. I think it was a good experience for me too. So yeah. Yeah. That's really cool. So I'm curious when you talk about not being able to do stuff, Mm -hmm. um, was it because of just the sickness or was it, did you have lifting restrictions or is it just that the belly literally gets in the way by the end? So many of that, pretty much everything that you said. Okay. That's fair. So in the beginning it was mostly the sickness, but I was still able to do almost everything like carrying crates, all of that. Um, I could never, I think they wanted me to not lift more than 25 pounds, but to be honest, I didn't really follow that rule until like end of second trimester. It's just like kind of impossible yeah, to, no. to do that with our job. Um, but yeah, and then things got in the way. So like you've seen some of the big crates that we have to carry the birds in. You just do that with two hands and your stomach is in the center of this big crate. <laughs> so there was absolutely no way I could do that. It right. just wasn't going to happen. Um, so yeah, stuff like that I couldn't do. And then I got really good at understanding when you bend down to pick something up, you better make the mat, the, you better use that opportunity to your advantage to go down, pick up as much as you can get back up and hope that you don't have to do it again. (laughs) So that's like, and you know what? I still use that skill now. I'm like, if I'm going to go down here, I'm going to pick up as much as I can and hope that I don't have to do it again. So, yeah, I got I got pretty good at that. And, you know, you've been in the barn. You've seen what, you know, what we have to clean, what that looks like. It's a lot of maneuvering into small, like tight spaces and getting into. Yeah. Getting into some of those areas and crouching down. There's so much bending. I feel like a lot of zookeeping is lots of heavy lifting and shoveling and raking. But for us, it's a lot of bending and scrubbing and like awkward, you know, spaces. And so it just became impossible for me to do that. I had a whole list of, you know, birds that I just couldn't clean because I physically couldn't get into the space that they were in. That's amazing. So yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. Um, yeah. And I can see how hard that, that would have been for you, but also Mm -hmm. like we've talked about it before that like a big part of leadership is delegation. Yeah. And, um, that's, uh, that's a different level of delegation when you literally can't do the thing anymore. So that's, probably a good thing. Yeah. And it it was, it was definitely hard for me. I, I'm really lucky that I had people on my team just encouraging me to be honest with myself and like, Mm -hmm. we're really understanding and really didn't want me to push it. There was, I remember a specific time that, um, from, from the get go, I wasn't allowed to go on ladders. And that's a big thing. Um, because we use ladders all the time to hang higher perches and stuff. And so I was, um, in the aviary with Emily And I was like, I know I'm not supposed to go on ladders, but I'm just going to go on this step stool. And I was like maybe a foot, two feet off the ground. And I didn't fall off the ladder. And I was in my second trimester at this point. So not like third trimester, huge, but it was probably the end of my second trimester. I stepped backwards off this like step stool. It might honestly might've been a ladder, but I was only like two feet off the ground thinking, whatever. Yeah. I tripped on a cinder block that was behind me and I fell on my back. Thank God. So I fell like on my butt and then onto my back. But it was really scary and I was really upset after and Emily was, you know, really upset and like, you know, scared. We were both like scared and I was just like, I don't know why I did that. I was like mad at myself for like thinking that I could push it. And then I got really I I mean, I was really upset after. Like, why did I even risk that for for, you know, 
stupid reasons. And so from that point on was when I was like, I need to stop thinking that I am invincible here and I need to just really follow these like rules strictly and yeah. not just try to push myself. What, what am I trying to prove? <laughs> yeah. Well, I feel like, I feel like in general, when you have a job that you love and we've discussed the fact that we both have that mm-hmm. and we're both super passionate about what we do, um, that sometimes it's problematic because yeah. you want to do the thing so mm-hmm. much. And like, if you were sitting at a desk and they said you can't be on a ladder, I don't know why you'd be at a ladder at a desk job, but mm-hmm. you'd be like, I don't, I don't really care. But like to help a bird, you will do anything. Exactly. And to play a show, I will do anything. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, some of the injuries that I've played through and some of the things that I've, I've done, um, only recently I've started to kind of look back on and be like, that was, that was dumb. That was silly. Yeah. yeah. And like, I mean, anyone who listens regularly knows I, I was in the hospital recently because I had an issue mm-hmm. and stuff. And it was, it was very hard for me to, to go to the, ho- or to the, the, I didn't even think I'd end up in the hospital. I just went to an urgent care, yeah. but because I had to play the next day yeah. and I was supposed to be playing for weeks on end. Mm-hmm. And, um, when I got admitted and then had some complications that meant I really couldn't do the show anymore, it, it bothered me so much, not mm-hmm. just because I like playing, but because like there's something in me that makes me think I have to be doing the thing right. because this is what I'm passionate about and this is my career and blah, blah, blah. And it was only lying in a hospital bed when I finally realized that like, whoa, no, you need yeah. to take care of yourself and right. your life. Right. And like your job can still be super important and you can still be super passionate about it. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, it definitely opened my eyes a little bit to to yeah. some of that stuff, you know? Yeah, because if you don't take care of yourself, then you don't get to do those things that you're so passionate about. But yeah, yeah you're always going to have that drive to do to do whatever it is that you want to do. That's, that doesn't magically go away when all of a sudden you need to take care of yourself. So I think it's a really hard thing that people, there's just like, it's an impossible it's it's impossible to find that balance. It's almost like it doesn't exist. You yeah. you really have to like dig deep to create it. Yeah. yeah. And so. I think in both of our fields there's a lot of burnout. Yeah, oh yeah. And I think a big reason why is because people don't learn that. Mhm. You know. Yeah, and definitely. Probably a good thing that you and I are both on these journeys where we're starting to learn that a little bit. Yeah, definitely. You know, so that we're not both burnt out in a couple of years and, mm-hmm. and you're doing some desk job and I'm, I don't know, a bartender and we're talking about what the hell happened. <laughs> don't love that journey for us. No, yeah. Let's stay off that journey. And um, yeah. So I You think- mentioned show. You said show. And it just came, I mean, talking about your shows yeah. that you do. And that came to my mind. Doing shows pregnant was fun. Oh my gosh. Because there's a lot of uncontrollable bodily functions that happen when you're pregnant (laughs) in the form of like for me burping like uncontrollable like weird I would do this solo hiccup thing constantly like I would never get the consecutive hiccups but just one hiccup every like I don't know, hour or so. And so like lots of things would happen in the middle of sentences. And especially because one of our shows, (laughs) one of our shows happens right after lunch. So there's already a little bit of extra stuff going on in there and then add pregnancy to that. And yeah, some funny things would come out and it was, it was really hard to stop myself from dying laughing while I was trying to give these presentations of some of the stuff that would come out of my mouth. I mean, people could, that was like second trimester in the middle of the summer when we were at like the peak of our shows. I feel like people could kind of tell I was pregnant. Like I couldn't tuck in my shirt really anymore. So you could kind of see a little bump. Um, 
but I could have also just been a little chubby. So like, I don't think people would have really questioned it, but I feel like there were some, some people out there that definitely knew. And it was just funny. It was entertaining. That's hilarious. Yeah. 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 We make way too much of bodily functions anyway. Oh yeah. All fine. Whatever. Everybody, everybody poops. Yeah. Everybody poops and then have (laughs) stories about it. Exactly. Poop story. (laughs) (laughs) But, um, okay, so while we're talking about your pregnancy time, mm-hmm. um, I'm, I'm curious. You once told a story about wearing a headband mm-hmm. and how Kinta the Kookaburra would not recognize you if you wear a headband, yeah. which is crazy because, to remind listeners, Kinta is literally a bird that you raised from, mm-hmm. like, hatchling. Yep. So this is, like, insane that Kinta cannot recognize you with a Headband. Yep. Did any of the birds have any problems or react to you any differently, especially as you continued to uh, show? That's a good question, but no. Really? No. That's none of astonishing. Them. None of them. Wow. I had one of our emus um, was like when I was like petting her head, she was kind of at like level with my stomach. And there was one day that she fell asleep on my baby bump while I was stroking her head. So that was probably one of my favorite memories in interacting with some of the birds while I was pregnant. Um, you would think Russell would have, yeah. or you think that he, I'd have stories about that, but I really don't. Um, wow. Yeah. So, that, I mean, that's kind of a boring answer, but really none of them. Kenta did not care. Thank well, God. Okay. She's full of surprises, that one. Yeah. Um, as long as you don't wear a headband, you're fine. <laughs> I know. I do have another funny video of me holding one of our Harlequin macaws and um, him being kind of near my bump. And I was like, that's the baby down there. Like, say hi. And he says hi back. But like, I prompted that. So right. it wasn't like he actually knew what was going on. <laughs> But it is like a cute video to have. Um, yeah. Mm, no, nobody, nobody knew. Nobody wow. cared. Yeah. They're so sensitive to changes and stuff. Maybe, they are. Maybe may because it's a biological thing or maybe because it slowly happened over time. I yeah. don't know. But. I wish, I wish there was a way that I wish there was a way of quantifying that and, yeah. and understanding. But yeah, I don't think anybody picked up on it. At least not that I noticed. I noticed no changes in behavior, nothing. Yeah. Wow. Fascinating. Yeah. Were you surprised to find out that your baby would not come out of an egg? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. I thought so. Yeah. 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 So I'm I'm curious um, about, you know, you have these amazing relationships with some of these birds. Mm -hmm. As a matter of fact, um, you know, you have been called mother of birds. Facts. uh, Yes. Yes. And so then, then you decided to become mother of human. Yeah. And, um, and I'm just, I'm curious, like what effect that had on your thoughts about your relationships with your birds as you were pregnant, if you were mm-hmm. wondering about any of that. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, after the fact, if if that has changed how, how any of those relationships work. Well, that's a really interesting question because I don't know if it, if it ever, if I ever considered the relationships changing, but I guess I did consider how I would view those relationships because for the longest time, I feel like my work was so much of my identity. Right. And like, I am a bird trainer. I am a zookeeper. I am the head of the bird department at Southwick Zoo. Like, that was so much of like who I am. And it still is. But now I've added this other element of me that is like 
top priority now. And so not that some of those relationships with the birds are on the back burner, but they're in combination with this other, you know, relationship that I have with my now daughter and this, this now identity of me being a mother of this child. So I guess it's not so much that those relationships with the birds have changed. It's just the way that I view them has become a little bit different. It's, it's kind of really, um, difficult to explain. Um, one thing that I think about is like before it was really hard for me to leave my work, um, at, at work. And, you know, I would come home, I was like, take my work home with me. And now I have to find this, this way of leaving work and truly leaving it there. Because if I bring my work home with me, then I can't, be the person that I want to be at home because I want to be as present as possible for Raina. So if I'm not, if I'm not fully here, then I'm not really being the mother that I want to be like in that moment. So that has been kind of difficult, but in a way it does make some of like my struggles or things that I'm stressed about at work seem a little bit less of a struggle because I can come home to this other like world that I live in and not that those they're two separate things. Cause I don't want them to be, I want them to coexist. And mm-hmm. I want that to, you know, those relationships with like my daughter and the ones that I have with the birds. I want all of that to coexist, but it's definitely um, been a work in progress to figure out what that balance looks like. And um, if I want it to truly be a balance or if I want there to be moments in my life where like work is kind of on my priority list, you know, I might have to come home and think about work sometimes. And then sometimes when I'm at work, I'm going to have to really be thinking about home and, you know, leave work to come help out with Raina and stuff like that. So I'm still figuring that out and still figuring out how those relationships are going to continue to, you know, coexist. Right. But, but yeah, so that's kind of a, that's an in-depth one. And I'm going to think about that for a while now that you've asked, actually. Good. I like that. Yeah. And yeah, and it's such an interesting thing. I mean, obviously with my situation being what it is, mm-hmm. um, it's different. You know, I don't live with Miles and I'm on the road a lot. Mm-hmm. But what I have found works super well for me is, is when I'm with Miles, mm-hmm. I am completely focused yeah. on that relationship. Mm-hmm. Um Every once in a blue moon, if I have to schedule like a call with an important producer mm-hmm. over a visit, I might, but I try really hard not to. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, and when I'm with Zoe, my focus is completely on that relationship. Right. And then when I'm on the road, I mean, clearly I still think about the people in my life and all that stuff. And mm-hmm. I, you know, but except for when we're, we're calling or FaceTiming or texting or whatever, mm-hmm. um, then I'm focused on my job. And that is what has worked really well for me. Yeah. But it's it's different for everyone. Yeah. And, and everyone is different. And um, again, that's one of those things where right now I also kind of am like, Eh, that's the balance that I've had and it's worked really well, but now I'm, I'm exploring other potential things. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And you know, when I was a couple weeks after Raina was born, I'm, I'm also a color guard coach and we were in the middle of our competition or not our competition season, but gearing up for our competition season. And so she was like three weeks old and I was already going to color guard rehearsals and I was talking to my therapist. Everybody should talk to a therapist. Um, talking to my therapist about, you know, how do I leave? 
some of what's going on with color guard there and be present with Raina when I get home. I was having such a hard time with that. And like one of the things she was like, literally pull out your phone before you drive home and look at pictures and videos and try to get that in your brain as much as you can. Maybe listen to something that's going to remind you of her on your drive home. And then when you get there, hopefully you're as, you know, as present as possible. And so I'm definitely going to, we're starting to incorporate some of those strategies when I leave work to try to like switch my brain right. to all of a sudden, you know, trying to be as present as possible. Cause it's so hard when you, it's so hard to leave your work there when oh, you yeah. do our job, especially like, yeah, you, no you know, they're living animals. Mm-hmm. You're still taking care of that. You're still going to experience like compassion fatigue with your animals and mm-hmm. stuff like that. So all of that doesn't go away just because now all of a sudden you're a mom or a parent. So yeah. it's, it's, it's hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I'm sure. I mean, I, I legitimately, and I say this not as a joke, it's going to almost sound like one, but I will legitimately think about Russell mm-hmm. some days like yeah. out in California or like think about bandit, the, the, yeah. you know, my bandit buddy and at Columbus or mm-hmm. slash or whatever. And like, I'm not nearly as connected to these animals as keepers are. I, I totally understand that or it's yeah. at a different level, you know, but, but I'll be sitting there and all of a sudden I'll be like, I wonder how Lucille's doing out in Cincinnati. And it's like mm-hmm. this, yeah, no, I can't even imagine. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, I, I have found that you know, there are definitely strategies, like you said, and there are ways where you can, if you can hyper-focus on one thing yep. most of the time, it's mm-hmm. always a little hard, but it, is it, a does, struggle. it does help. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's really cool. Uh, out of curiosity, since you um, do high school color guard mm-hmm. and, and uh, train birds, mm-hmm. which group, high school, children, or birds, would you say are more dramatic? more dramatic. <laughs> you know, you've asked me this question before, but it was, which are smarter yes. or which are more intelligent, yes, yes. which are more dramatic. I mean, <laughs> birds can be really dramatic. I know. That's why I'm asking. I'm legitimately like wondering this because so can well, high school it's kids. Like, I guess it's hard for me to label either one. Cause you know, you know how I am about putting labels um, on behaviors. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Um, can we come back to that question? No, okay, I'll answer it right now. Um, I don't know. I mean, like... This was kind of just a joke, but I love that you're all in on it. Oh, I'm all in on it. All questions can, you know, I take I take these questions very seriously. Oh, I know. That's why I spend so long prepping. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, high schoolers are dramatic, but birds will literally... I mean, I just think about sugar, and he doesn't get his way, man. Sugar goes nuts. We hear about it for a long time. <laughs> so, birds. <laughs> That's actually... Final answer. All joking aside, though, for those listening, and especially for those that don't work with birds or spend a lot of time with birds, mm-hmm. that's actually a really good way because everybody knows how dramatic high school can be. Yeah. I had a kid try to punch me in the face because I beat him for a drumming thing. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just high school. Mm-hmm. Um, and so to say that birds are more dramatic is actually a really great insight into, you know, for people that don't work with birds so much, that's how crazy it can be. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they're t- they're tough, <laughs> but we've we've learned how to. I guess I guess one thing is that you know all behavior you know happens in a vacuum, so like it's more manageable. I would say with birds, whereas high schoolers are so influenced by you know so many different. Th- I mean, the, I don't. The, here I am saying that, but birds are too influenced by their environment. Mm-hmm. So that's such a hard one. 
I'm going to be thinking about that for the rest of my life. I love it. I love it. So, um, you know, you keep talking about behavior and and you're very focused on behavior Mm -hmm. um, and training. Mm. And now you have a human child. Mm -hmm. So have we started positive reinforcement training? How are you applying? And I know that Raina is very young. Yeah. But how have you started to be a human trainer? That this is such an interesting question. And you know what? I need to do so much more research on this because I actually, I mean, training is so universal and you can train people. We all know that. Mm -hmm. But something. I, I remember you telling me about using a clicker when you first married Paul. (laughs) (laughs) right something that i've been thinking about a lot i don't know if you've heard about like gentle parenting but it is something that i'm very intrigued by and there's this kind of concept of you know trying not to teach children to do things just because it will make somebody else feel a certain way like happy or sad like if you tell a little kid when you do that it makes mommy sad or when you do this thing this makes mommy happy so i'm going to give you this reward so that's actually something that gentle parenting is working to avoid is like trying to just um teach kids to do something to make someone else feel a certain way because we don't want kids to just be thinking about how other people are feeling when they make decisions we want them to be thinking about how we want them to be very focused on how they're feeling when they make a decision when you do this do you feel good about it when you do this do you does it make you upset um so that's like a concept that i'm very much so exploring right now for when reyna gets a little bit older and we're starting to teach some of those things I have noticed that, you know, behavior happens like all around us. So like in little things right now, I notice that like if I'm giving Raina a bottle instead of breastfeeding and she's really into it and she it somehow slips out of her mouth or we take it away to burp her, she gets really, really mad. And then guess what stops when we give the bottle back to her? The awful cry. So there's like some positive reinforcement right there, you know, like and um. Yeah. So I just, I don't know. There's behavior is happening all around us all the time. There are little things that I've noticed with her, but there's also these like really much bigger concepts that I'm looking to explore to make sure that I'm, um, raising an emotionally sound child or a kid that's very in tune with her own emotions and not just behaving to please other people or to get rewards in in a certain way. I I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, no, it makes a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm curious, do you think that that your training background will make that easier for you? I don't know because so much of my training background is very much like to communicate with this animal. Obviously I want them, I want this animal to do this for, for my, for, for reasons, for my own reasons, right? Like I want Russell to go from point A to point B because I want him to do this behavior. That's something that's like, I don't want to say like self-serving, but that's something that's an experience that I want for him. So I don't want to operate in a way that's like, basically training Raina to do everything that I want her to do. No, of course. In in certain situations, yes. Mm -hmm. Like, I want her to be kind. I want her, you know, all of those things. But, um... But yeah, so I think my training background will come into play, but I also think I'm going to have a lot of questions about, you know, ways that I use training in parenting. It's not going to be all about, you know, positive reinforcement, negative reinforcement. Like it's not going to be about the four quadrants all the time or even just classical conditioning, stuff like that. It's go- I'm going to see it happen. I'm going to see her response to certain things and pay attention to how those consequences make her feel. But um, 
yeah. So I am going to be very hypersensitive because of my training background, but I'm also going to be exploring it as I go. Sure. Which and I feel like everybody should kind of do that oh, when, yeah. when they're in this field too, is not just being stuck on these concepts and using them, but exploring the concepts. And that's what I love about our field. And right. that's what I love about behavior. Well, I was going to say, and you've, all, you've often talked about the fact that, um, you know, you, you, you can, you can talk about training in very broad terms, like you're saying, like the quadrants and all that stuff, mm -hmm. but you always focus on the individuals. Right. And when you tell the stories about the individuals, they're, they're very individualized. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I think, you know, I think that's something that a lot of, people miss when they're parenting is mm -hmm. that like every kid is different and you can't read a, a, a book by Dr. Spock or go and listen to a parenting podcast of something that worked for little Joey over there mm -hmm. and then expect it to work for Raina or Miles because yep. they are very different individuals. Um, and I feel like a lot of people miss that. Yeah. You know, and yeah. um, that's really important to me. I am, when I'm with Miles, along with being hyper focused on Miles, mm -hmm. I'm hyper focused on Miles yeah. and his reactions and his wants and why. And the cool thing about, you know, humans that you don't have with birds or even with a little baby mm -hmm. is that they can talk. Now, that can also get tricky in that sometimes they don't want to and sometimes they don't want to admit something or whatever. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it's it's really nice to like you've said, I I wish I knew what this bird was thinking in this moment. I mm -hmm. you know, I can look at Miles and say that was a weird reaction, buddy. That's not what you normally would what what's what's going on? Yeah. Let's, let's talk through this. Yeah. And and that definitely helps. Yeah. You know. You're learning from their behavior all the time. Yeah. And picking up on those little cues. Mm -hmm. I mean, even with Raina right now, we're like, we're we're so um excited when she smiles. Mm -hmm. Like we get because it doesn't happen often. So like whatever we do to make her smile, like that's, that's the behavior that we want. So we're just like, she's kind of reinforcing us. So right. like, if I look at her and I'm like, blah, 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 make a, like a, do a weird thing and she smiles, then I'm going to do blah, 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 like all the time to get her to smile. So yeah. So, so it's interesting. Yeah. And it works. Yeah. It got me to smile too. <laughs> well, I'm so glad. Good thing no one can see me right now. <laughs> so, um, you know, the next step in all of this, so you were pregnant mm -hmm. and then you had a baby because mm -hmm. that's, that's how that goes. Yes. And then you were on, or I guess you left a little bit before that, but you were on maternity leave. Yeah. Talk to me about maternity leave mm. when you're away from a job that up till this point had been your, like you said, your, your kind of life and your, your, you know, definition of who you were. Yeah. Oh, that was so hard. So, well, first of all, I was due on December 1st and I had Raina on November 20th. So my last day of work was on the 18th and I started having contractions the next day. And then I had Raina the day after. So <laughs> when, when I say I literally worked up until I gave birth, like I literally did. I mean, it was like the timing was insane. I texted my boss and I was like, good thing I stopped working on Thursday. And then I texted her a picture of the baby and she, this was Betsy. And she was just like, like, oh my God, <laughs> it was wild. So yeah, the timing of it was all really crazy. And then I ended up being off for about four and a half months. So I got, a, I was very, very lucky. Massachusetts state laws allowed me to have that time. I was going to say, that's, yeah. that's hefty. I got six months maternity through the state and then 12 months of child bonding. So maternity was basically just for my recovery. And you then, mean weeks, not months, right? Did I say months? Yeah, you did. 
Okay, well, mom brain. <laughs> yeah, no, it's fine. It's Hello, totally fine. I just, I was like, wait, I'm confused. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Did I really say that? You did, yeah. Wow. I mean, yeah, you made a weird face right away. I was like, yeah, what, I was what like, did what? I say? Math, what? <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, I got six weeks yes. maternity. And then I got 12 weeks child bonding. And Paul did too. Paul got 12 weeks oh, child awesome. bonding. Wow. So that's awesome. Wow. We, so cool. we had some nice time together, which thank God, because those first three months were rough. It was really hard. Um, but one thing I said before I left was, you know, as I was delegating and giving everybody like, here are our goals for the winter. Here's what I would love for you guys to accomplish if there's time. Um, you know, when the boss leaves, you have to make a plan. You have to say like, it, I didn't look at it as like, okay, one person is just going to replace like the job of Danny. It was, I have too great of a team for that. So right. it was, it was mostly just like, let's delegate in a way just, it's going to set everybody up for success. Everybody's strengths were, you know, considered and everybody gets this unique task and like they killed it obviously. But, um, the one thing I said is like, here are your delegations. And also I don't want to know anything. Like, don't talk to me about wow. work. Don't, um, don't contact me about anything, which like, as you know, for me and Emily, that's hard. Yeah. We talk about everything. Um, Even at dinner with me, you can't stop from being like, I know. oh, and by, by the way, guys, just so you know, um, on Tuesday, we're going to, we're doing this. Oh, okay. Okay. Cool. And I'm yeah. Like, I was like, yeah, Emily, Hey, here. I'm going to, I'm like, come, I'm going to come in for a couple hours on Tuesday. Like I'm going to help you out. Like we can't not talk about work. Yeah. I literally just pull out my phone and start surfing the internet until they're <laughs> done. And then I join the conversation again. True story. Yeah. <laughs> so like, it was really hard. I, I knew that that was going to be the best decision for me though. Mm -hmm. And for my family, because we were just talking about before, it's so hard to separate. So I knew I needed to set that boundary early. Um, and then Emily looked at me and was like, so if someone dies, you know, worst case scenario, right, yeah. one of the birds, one yeah. of the birds gets really sick and they die. Um, and you know, that's something that we would normally announce on social media. And to her point, she was just like, do you want to find out that way? Right. And that was something that I actually had to think about. Like I didn't, I don't even think I responded in that moment, to be honest. I was like, I was like, yes, I want to know. No, I don't want to know. Wait a second. Like I was just very, I actually don't know in that moment, like what I want to do because I have this brand new baby. And then all of a sudden, like, what if I find out that somebody, you know, very unfortunately passes away, that's going to be devastating, obviously. Um, and so I really had to think about it. And I came to the conclusion that I do want to know if somebody passes away, but I just don't want to be like involved in everything leading up to it. Right. Because a lot of times they don't, it's not just a one and done, mm -hmm. you know, sometimes they come down with whatever illness and then we're working with our vet team for however long. And then, you know, either a euthanasia decision is made or something very unfortunate happens where they don't do well on the medication, something like that. So, um, I had kind of like set that boundary and then went off on my way and it was hard. Like, you know, you're very focused on baby, obviously after you have a baby, but you still know that this whole world exists mm -hmm. outside of your home or your bedroom, you know, and it's like, in order to kind of like stay sane and remind yourself that you're still a human with like your own passions that lay outside these walls, you kind of want to be involved in it, but sometimes, you know, it's not really good for you in that moment. So it was a really, it was a big struggle. Like, like I was like just dying for like Snapchat updates from right, my team. Right. Like I loved it. And then I gave them, 
free reigns uh, for our social media because I usually manage that on my own, but I made all of them admins on our social media and I was just like kind of waiting for them to like post something. <laughs> like I would just get and when they would, I would get so excited and I would like love it and share it and, you know, do all of that. I just, I was really excited to like hear about what was going on, but I very specifically told them not to tell me anything. So I was kind of just like <laughs> sitting in the corner, twiddling my thumbs like, mm. I know this is good for me, but it is so hard. <laughs> right, I'm sure. Yeah. I mean, those are those are things that you care about. Yeah. It would be like saying, you know, you're not going to text any of your friends or family for a couple months. Yeah. Like, that's that's intense. It is intense. I just knew that it was the type of boundary that I needed to set yeah, in great. order to keep my mind where I needed it to be for right. those four months. So, but yeah, it definitely came with its fair share of like thoughtful, you know, moments in my mind where I was just like constantly wondering what was going on. And yeah. So, and when you got back, Mm -hmm. were there like surprises and did you have like a crazy, I mean, I know your team killed it, but like, did you have a crazy bunch of stuff to, to have to relearn and like, or not Mm. even not relearn, but like adjust to because you had skipped those weeks? Not really. I, a lot of things were pretty normal, thankfully. Well, kind of not kind of, kind of not. So I was, my whole maternity leave was our off season, which worked out beautifully. So the zoo was closed. So there's the, so the, the job in the winter is significantly less stressful because you're not managing as many people. You're not managing interns. Your schedules are, you know, our aviary is closed, like super easy, but still like functionally little things here and there that need to happen. But one of the big ones is when March hits, we do even February when February and March hits, we do all of our hiring. So I wasn't involved in that process. Um, and that was hard. Um, so I had because you yeah. said that you hate your new team members and absolutely you hate just them. Loathe them. <laughs> he is joking. For he, he, is joking. he is joking. He is joking. Yeah, he is joking. <laughs> and John knows. I just was training somebody new today, it's and true. we were talking about how much we loved her at dinner. So it's true. Yeah, had to walk around with your stupid muffin and and I for 40 minutes because we're training someone, but whatever. even longer. Um, yeah. So I wasn't really involved in that process. Um, and so that was hard. I actually, so I stupidly did, um, agree to hire someone part-time. So I was, I was doing that from home via zoom. It was just a little thing that I decided to do because my team was a little strapped for staff and they were a little stressed. So I did that. And I kind of wish, I kind of wish that I didn't, I kind of wish I was just like, you know, like I'm still not there. I just, I can't really do this, but it was something that I felt like was right in the moment. So I just decided to help them out with that. Um, and that is the only thing that, I mean, I'm pretty proud of myself. That was the only thing work related really that I did while I was on leave. So heck of a lot better than how I thought I was going to do. Yeah. I'm, I'm impressed. That's really cool. Now, a hypothetical question for you, Mm -hmm. but if you had gotten back and things had not gone as well, and you know, you, your team wasn't as rock starry as, as they are. Mm -hmm. Um, do you think you would have still been glad that you took that time or, or would that have been much harder for you? I think I still would have been glad that I took the time because I don't think my time away would have changed. Um, but it certainly would have been more difficult for me to go back. Like just, I mean, going, well, in general, going back was still hard, which is really interesting to me because going back to a job that you absolutely love after having a baby is still hard. I think people think like, oh, I just, I don't want to go back to work. There's so much drama. There's so much stress like this and that. Um, 
I think that that's very real for people that don't love their job, but it's also very real for people who do love their job. And that just speaks to how, you know, how much of a bond you've just created with this human over this extended period of time. And then all of a sudden you have to leave that person for so long during the day. And not only that, but like I'm a mom and I'm a breastfeeding mom. So like when I'm away from my baby, I'm still not fully away from her because my body is still doing it, what it does in the presence of a baby with technology, with my pump. So I still have to step away from what I'm doing for a certain amount of time. And like, even during those moments in order to release all the right hormones to really get all of that milk out of my body, I'm looking at pictures and videos of my baby while I'm at work. And that helps. I mean, that's something I learned in the hospital while I was, you know, pumping because I was having production issues when I was in the hospital. Lactation came in and said, look at your baby. She was actually in an incubator because she had jaundice and needed phototherapy. So she couldn't be nursing on me. So lactation said, look at your baby, mama. It helps. And so I did. And it made a big difference in the milk that I produced. It is crazy. Yeah. Yeah, so. those are the things that like you hear a professional say and you're like, you're an idiot. But then you try it because they're and professional and then it works and you're like, oh, I'm an yep. idiot. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. I went on a tangent about production and I don't even remember the question that you asked me to be honest. Oh, who the hell knows? I'm sure it's all great content because <laughs> we're just having a discussion. That's that's Truth. what we do. Facts. Um, yeah, no, but uh, that, yeah. I don't remember either, but I'm sure it was great. And I'm sure I'm going to edit some of this out or leave it in because we're hilarious. We're so funny. Um, yeah. Yeah. Plus it's, it's probably past your bedtime. It's like nine seventeen. It's so, so past my bedtime and yeah. I still have to shower. Cause as you know, I have kookaburra guts on my face. Well, mm-hmm. no, not kookaburra guts, no. guts from the food of kookaburra right, right. all over my face. Yeah. Your, your life is a poop story. Poop story. It is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So, you know, I am a father, so I am wildly aware of the fact that giving birth is a very physical thing. It was it was very challenging for me, and I'm going to shut up now before you punch me. But uh, <laughs> no, but seriously, um, giving birth and stuff is very physical, and zookeeping, as we have said, is a very physical job. Mm-hmm. So have you noticed any differences or any um, maybe accommodations that you've had to make in order to zookeep? Mm, funny you mentioned that. Yes, 100%, yes. One thing that was pretty apparent right when I got back was how much core strength I lost within the course of the last year being pregnant and then postpartum and all of that. And because my job is so physical, not only that, not only is my job physical, but there's lots of bending involved in my job and lots of crouching down into like awkward spaces as we were talking about before. So I actually, after the first two days of being in so much pain, my lower back was absolutely killing me. We have a physical therapist that actually works with one of our kangaroos and I was upstairs getting my milk at the end of the day. She was asking me how I was feeling and I was telling her that I had some really bad lower back pain. She gave me a couple exercises to do and recommended this brace that is, I call it my sumo wrestler brace, (laughs) but I literally put it around my waist like, and I, it's super, super tight. So it's very, very compression just to like keep my hips in place and make it so that I can't like arch my back super awkwardly. And I wear that when I clean now and it really, really, really helps. And then I also had to get brand new pair of shoes to make sure that like, you know, I I had like some ankle pain, like my feet were in pain. So I just really needed to make sure that I was standing on, um, you know, a surface, like my shoes weren't too worn out or anything like that. I had to be very careful about all of that stuff. So, so yes, the brace is a lifesaver and those exercises that, 
kangaroo lady gave me are also lifesavers. So awesome. I love that. That's, that's really good. And yay for kangaroo lady. Yay for kangaroo lady. Yeah. And then while, while I'm asking you questions, um, who's the best puppy? Shine. The best? Shine. Shine's the best puppy. Hi, Shine. Shine got a bath today, so he's extra shiny. Yes. Living up to the name. <laughs> I love Shine so much. Shine, for those that don't know, is Danny's dog. And if you don't know that, then you don't follow her on Instagram. And that's a mistake because, um, Shine is awesome and Danny's fine too. The one and only Shinestagram. Shinestagram. <laughs> so, um, you know, you talked about going back and, yeah. and that it was challenging. Yeah. Um, are you glad to be back though? I am glad to be back. Good. It feels good to be doing something that's just for me. I feel, I feel more like myself, but different in a way because I have this whole other identity. Like when I first went back, I was explaining to some of my coworkers that I'm, I'm back and everything feels very normal because everything's the same. But then all of a sudden I think that I'm like, oh yeah, when I go home, I go home to be a mom and I go home to my baby. Like that is so different compared to what I was used to. And I also have this thing where like, so like bird flu is a thing now too. So I'm very careful at work. And when I come home, I go downstairs and I put all of my clothes in the wash and I take a shower and then I go pick up Raina from quote unquote daycare, but it's our in-laws that live next door. <laughs> sure. So, um, either that or Paul has already picked her up from work after he works and brings her home, but I won't, I won't hold her or hug her or touch her when I have zoo clothes on just because I want to be very careful. So that's a thing too. Another thing that I like now have to consider, you know, I run home and I used to just be able to kind of like take my time, do my thing. And now I'm like, as soon as I get home, I'm in the shower and then I either have to pump or breastfeed. Like it's <laughs> your life. You just don't live it just for you anymore. Mm-hmm. So yeah, interesting. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. But very glad to be back. Uh, good. And were the birds glad to have you back? They were so glad to have me back. <laughs> the most excited was our I mean, I think Russell, what he was obviously pretty excited, but didn't show it, didn't show like exasperated excitement quite so much as our blue and gold macaw, Henry, and our, oh, Henry. yeah, oh, Henry, and our female eclectus parrot, Amber. They were so excited to see me. <laughs> so excited. Amber, I opened her cage to take her out to put her in her crate for cleaning and she would not get off my arm. She was like, Aww. absolutely, you will not put me down after you just picked me up for the first time in four months. Who Aww. do you think you are? <laughs> now, I know that you didn't work during that time except for your one little hire, mm-hmm. but um, you visited, right? I did. Yeah. I visited twice. How was that? It was so weird. I remember the first time I, I walked in and the first birds I saw were our hybrids, Pee Wee and Trouble. And I went, I was like so flabbergasted at seeing like a living thing on a perch because I was like, I'm so used to seeing like a baby in my arms or like a baby on a couch. Like when I looked up and saw a bird on a perch, I was like, whoa, is that, I was like, is that right? Are you supposed to do that? Well, obviously it was. It's just, I was so not used to seeing that anymore. I know that sounds so weird because I've been doing this now like 10 years and you would think that that would not shock me, but it, for whatever reason it did, it was so weird, (laughs) but yes, it was so nice though. Visiting. Um, I did bring Raina that day, but I didn't bring her into the bird room and bird flu wasn't even a thing then when I brought her, but it was just so loud. Oh, it's so loud. It's too loud for a baby. So that didn't happen. And it's too loud in there. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. 
Yeah. So it's too loud and it's stinky and there's poop everywhere. So I was like, mm, I'm not going to bring my daughter in there. No, thanks. She's when she's, when she's a little bit older for sure, but right, we need some she's earplugs. Not definitely. Uh, she's definitely not, you know, stinky and there's not a lot of poop in there always. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. 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 I've met this child. I'm yes. aware. <laughs> She pooped just a little while ago. She did, right before saying hi to me for the first <laughs> she time. She did. She sure did. <laughs> I love Paul. He's just like, hey, this is Raina. She just shit. I'm like, she just oh, shit her brains out. Amazing. <laughs> He's like, but here, say hi, and then I'm going to bring her to bed. <laughs> so good. So good. Oh, yeah. my goodness. Um, so is there anything else that you would like to share about being mother of birds and human? Um... I just really hope I produce a human that loves birds. There is this big conflict, not conflict, but I guess this this ongoing thing. Lil Raina like birds or vacuuming more. <laughs> because you know Paul. Oh, yeah. Paul vacuums yep. like at least three times a day obsessed with vacuuming and something that's really funny is babies like vacuum sounds because it is white noise. Mm -hmm. It sounds like blood going through the placenta. It's very loud. It's what they're used to. So they like white noise and specifically vacuum sounds. So when I say this is why Paul likes vacuum. That's Mm -hmm. a, that's a thought, Mm -hmm. John, that is a thought. Just wondering, (laughs) but I will say that just when I thought that Paul's obsession with vacuuming couldn't get any worse, I was then sentenced to four months of vacuum sounds with a newborn at home, like constant vacuum sounds. Like I have it on my phone. There's there's vacuuming white noise for babies and it would just constantly play on my phone at full blast. And like I'd even be in the car with her. And if she started getting fussy, plug in my phone and put those vacuum sounds on. So like. So I'm just saying that I really hope that she loves birds as much as she loves vacuum sounds because so far I'm losing this bet of her potentially loving birds more. Fair. I'm behind. Fair. Yeah, I'm behind. That's, that's unfortunate. Have you tried playing bird song and bird sounds? So and- on her hatch machine upstairs, there is a, you know, out backyard bird white noise sound and no. She, it doesn't do it for her. Oh no. I know. Oh, but no. those are just the sounds. So fair, fair. you know, Sometimes bird sounds aren't all that great. We yeah. love backyard bird noises, but mm-hmm. macaw screams, eh. Fair. Yeah. yeah. Hard to sleep, too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll, we'll see. Th- th- this is why Zoe and I sent y'all a uh, a, a little stuffed bird from, yes. from San Diego and the not little... a stuffed vacuum like we were considering. <laughs> I'm sure you were considering it. <laughs> well, they do make a baby Dyson that, we're, that we, Paul, <laughs> is dying to get her. So, yeah. Her future is bright. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. Awesome. <laughs> um, so this is, you know, completely off everything that we've talked about. But um, while we're here and we love talking about conservation, so shout out, mm. shout out a conservation organization. Oh, my God. You're going to put me on the spot like this? No, no. Putting you on the spot was in the first interview when I said, so what exactly is a bird? And you didn't know how to answer me. Let's not talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> conservation organization? Bird endowment. Armonia is such a good one. We're really hoping that we can continue to send as much money as we have in the past to Armonia this year. Um, really hoping we can start our bird show soon, but we've discussed today all of our birds are remaining indoors for the time being and no shows are happening. They probably won't even happen in May because of bird flu. So yeah, I'm going to give a shout out to 
Armonia, again, the Bird Endowment, who works closely with Armonia to raise all that those funds for blue-throated macaws, critically endangered species that we need to support because their habitats are just being absolutely obliterated, and it's very sad. Um, so there it is. Good job. I shouted. Nice. Well done. Yeah. Thank oh, yeah, you. I can. Yeah. And that's why we put compression on every podcast. What even is that? Evens you out a little bit. Not like emotionally, but volume wise. Really? Yeah. I do it with everybody, including myself. Yeah. Because like even just as we move back and forth from the mic a little bit, it'll squish that all down. Oh. Yeah. We love technology. Oh, yeah. And I nerd out about this crap. You know that. Yes. But yes. And so that makes it time for... It's time now, don't you know? We've come to the end of the show, but there's one tale left to go, you're gonna laugh and say, oh no, it's time for the Rossifari poop story. Poop story. We'll do it for Emily. <laughs> now you want to be added into the mix yeah. as well, of course. Put me, yeah. put me and her in there. I want a duet. <laughs> okay. I okay. Thanks. Poop story. Well, the way that we like to do baths with Raina is in there with her because it is just the most convenient. Um... And so you probably know where this is going. I was in the bath with her scrubbing her down and she pooped all over me in the tub. And so that was fun. And like it's it's breast milk poop. So it's that, you know, orangey like, you know, the drill. And then like one thing that they don't really prepare you for very well is the meconium poop in the hospital. So the poop that, you know, is basically from the amniotic fluid. So it's just that black tarry poop that they do like and when i say tarry it literally is like you have to change their diaper right away because it will stick to their butt it's insane um so yeah she was in the hospital and she her breastfeeding journey did not start out like very well it was very rocky so she wasn't you know getting a ton of breast milk through her system so like things weren't producing very well or like they weren't processing I should say very well and so it was taking her a really long time to do a a big meconium poop but when it happened we had her on my hospital bed and we wiped her bum which like stimulates the area and just meconium poop all over the place all over my white sheets black poop all over Paul's hand it was it was his first experience like with the getting pooped on because it happened several times after that, but this was the first one. So it was very funny. And I do have a video of it. On my phone. <laughs> it was very funny. And we'll be adding that to stories on, no, I'm kidding. I'm <laughs> kidding. I'm totally kidding. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that, that was, that was that. And then, yeah, just like lots of, lots of pooping in public and having to change outfits. I mean, you don't go anywhere without several outfits in your diaper bag because the poop just doesn't stay in the diaper. Every mom knows that. Every parent, I shouldn't even say mom, every parent knows that. Um, So you bring lots of diapers, you bring lots of wipes, and you bring lots of changes of clothes because, yeah, the amount of times that I actually had to scrub poop out of her onesies. Oh, I've got a good one. (laughs) I've got a good one. So, so, okay. I am a master at scrubbing poop out of clothes. Like I just, it's a skill of mine that I've developed over these last few months. And my secret is cold water and a bar of dove soap. Okay. So you scrub it as hard as you can under, you know, get the soap on there and then you rub the fabric together and you do that like a million times and your fingers feel like you're going to fall off because they're so cold, but cold water is key. 
So I tell Paul this and I'm like, this is what you need to do. I need Dove soap, blah, blah, blah. So she poops one time upstairs through her onesie. I'm pumping, so I can't do anything about it. So I can't use my magic to get this poop out. (laughs) So Paul's like, I got it. Dove soap, water, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, okay, this is like my favorite onesie, so do it right. Okay, so I go later in the day to, to take a shower and I pull the curtain open and I see in the tub, in the bathtub, I see a plastic bag, a plastic bag with the onesie in it filled with cold water and a whole bar of Dove soap. And it was tied, the top of the bag was tied, like as if it was a little goldfish that you buy at PetSmart. And it was literally just cold water, the onesie, the Dove soap in a bag. And I literally picked this this contraption up and I walked into the living room and looked at my husband and said, this, this was your solution. This was your solution. I swear to God, I could have killed him. But it was like, it's it's truly like one of my favorite memories. He was like, oh yeah, you said something about like Dove soap, cold water, get the stain out. So that's what I did. And I was like, Cool. Got it. Okay. I understand now. Thank you. And I went back into the bathroom and did it right. So that's a good one. You got to keep that one in. Oh, keeping them all in. This is amazing. I'm so glad I just remembered that just now. That's so good. And my friend was over when that happened and I swear she was crying. She was laughing so hard. I have a picture. I'll show you. I have a picture of me holding up the the you know poop stained onesie that looked like a goldfish in a bag that's amazing it was insane <laughs> yeah awesome 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 yeah. well thank you so much for taking the time to do this and for giving a human poop story or 12 and you're welcome yeah that was, that was so much fun thanks again this was so fun always love talking to you my Yay. friend We'll do another one soon enough, I'm sure. Yes. The people demand it. Okay. Okay. Give the people what they want. Absolutely. Okay, bye. Bye. Oh, we love a chat with Danny, don't we, folks? Yes, we do. And remember, you can check her out on Instagram at Danny Poirier. And also make sure you're following at Shinestagram because Shine has uh, his own Instagram and is adorable and a really good follow. And you go, boy, yes, he is. Um, and also remember that you can go to at Southwick's Zoo or SouthwickZoo.com to learn more about, well, Southwick's Zoo. There you go. Uh, I'd like to say thank you to Lara Shank, my red panda level patron. And um, also remember, folks, the way you say the word credits backwards if you're having a hairball is... <coughs> the Ross Safari Podcast is produced, hosted, and engineered by John Rossi. Editing and fact-checking by John and Dr. Zoe Vesley Gross. Our theme song is Sevens by Nathan Burke, performed by Nathan and John. Interrupting John theme and additional voices by Taylor Isaac Gray. You can reach John directly on Instagram and Facebook at Rossafari or by email at rossafaripod at gmail.com. Rossafari is part of the Daydreamer Media Network. Now, stop listening to me and go visit a zoo.